What's going on and welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson here in Boston, Massachusetts with the Pelicans as they get set for a back-to-back and they take on the Celtics. They'll wrap things up tonight and head back home and we'll have a nice little break after Wednesday. Three games in between games. It's just a two-game week after tonight's game with the Thunder on Wednesday and the Miami Heat on Sunday. So some much-needed rest for the Pelicans who have already played 28 games on the season and of course beat the Pistons yesterday 116 to 108 to improve to 14 and 14 three players in double figures Drew Holiday with 37 points Julius Randle with 28 points Nikola Mirotic 12 off the bench and Anthony Davis left the game with a right hip injury we do not know his status for tonight as there is no shoot around this morning since it's the second game of a back-to-back so what a Sunday if you're a Saints and Pelicans fan because of course, congratulations to the New Orleans Saints, NFC South champions for the second straight year, first time in franchise history. They've won back-to-back division titles. What a win. Didn't look good in the first half, down 14-3, but then 25 unanswered points. What a huge win for the Saints, and the Taysom Hill just continues to just, un- he makes me speechless just based on what he's been able to do now with a blocked punt yesterday. I mean, he... He's just so versatile. It's just unbelievable. And that was a huge spark for the Saints to help them get to 28-14 victory. 11-2. They also got some help yesterday. Big win for the Chicago Bears last night over the Rams. So now the Saints control their own destiny. If they win out, the Super Bowl goes through New Orleans until Atlanta. So that will be huge if the Saints can win out. That's all they need to do. Two games against the Panthers and a tough one against the Pittsburgh Steelers on December 23rd. Some big and wild games. How about the finish in New in Miami yesterday with the Dolphins on a last-second miracle? They call it the Miami Miracle with a huge win over the Patriots. You had the Steelers who lost at the last second against Oakland. It was a wild, wild day in the NFL and uh, should be interesting tonight with Seattle and Minnesota on Monday Night Football, both teams fighting for that playoff spot. But, of course, we're going to focus on the Saints and the Pelicans today. And It's my Monday tradition to get John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. We haven't had him in a while just because the Saints have played two straight Thursday night football games. So I haven't been able to have him on on a Monday talking about a Saints game. So we'll do so as he'll join me in Studio B. And then Jim offer from Pelicans.com, as we normally do on a Monday. We'll talk about the Pelicans' big win over the Pistons yesterday and preview tonight's game in Boston against the Celtics and kind of look ahead and also kind of look at this team through 28 games and we'll get Jim's thoughts on how they've been looking here through 28 been kind of a roller coaster ride let's see if they can get that winning streak to more than one as they head home for the rest of the week so again lots to get through Saints with John the Shazer Pelicans with Jim offer, and it's yours right now this is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sellerson. Of course, we have to start with the NFC South Division champs. That is the New Orleans Saints after they defeated the Bucks yesterday, 28-14. Joining me now in Studio B is New Orleans Saints.com writer, senior writer, John DeShazer. JD, how about that plane ride home? I'm sure it was real nice after the Saints clinched that division title yesterday. You know, honestly, they probably were exhausted from all the celebration in the locker room. But the plane rides home have always been pretty tame, uh, to be honest. Most of those guys are resting and sleeping and that kind of thing. So the plane, the actual plane ride, yeah, is tame. But uh, the celebration in the locker room, whether it's the, the music or guys just screaming 
and that kind of thing. Yeah, it got pretty wild yesterday. Yeah, it was very entertaining, but much deserved, J.D. What does it mean for this team and this franchise? For the first time in franchise history, you've won back-to-back division titles. Well, I mean, it's affirmation of all, all the work they put in. Um, you know, I know I think a lot of people panicked, obviously, after the season opener when they lost 48-40 to to Tampa, and all of a sudden everybody was, yeah, this team isn't equipped to do that. But, you know, to their credit, they always said, don't panic. Uh, it'll get better. It's communication issues and those kinds of the kinds of things that teams say and you just take for granted. You think they're just giving you cliches, but they really maintain that once they cleaned up, you know, a few things execution wise and communication wise that they were going to be a better team. And, and man, it seems like they are all, especially defensively, on the same page uh, now as we come, come down the stretch and now they win the NFC South. Uh, as you mentioned, back-to-back division championships for the first time in franchise history. But more than that, uh, they look equipped. Uh, they look equipped to be able to, to beat any team. I think they've got a team that you know that, that travels. I think they play a game that travels. It doesn't have to be pretty, uh, but they can win. Let's talk about that first half, J.D. I think there might have been a little bit of panic from fans just because it was 14 to 15. New Orleans really couldn't get anything going offensively. What changed in that second half where the Pel- where the Saints, excuse me, scored 25 unanswered points? Yeah, well, speaking of it, doesn't have to be pretty. Uh, really, the, the game flipped on Taysom Hill's block punt. Um, that's, yeah, I think it was about 7.23 or so left in the third quarter. And Taysom Hill comes through on a block punt. Wasn't even a design block, uh, but he was wary and head, head up, heads up enough to find the gap, shoot the gap. I think they had came, come close you know, a, a time or two earlier, and they may be, you know, just kind of, you know, him taking it upon himself to say, you know what, I think I can get one. And then the game flipped from there. They, they recover that block punt at the 30. Dwayne Washington does that. They score on a five-play a five play drive. Uh, they get the two-point conversion. It's 14-11. They force another three and out. They get another uh, short field touchdown. I think it was 51-yard touchdown drive on this one to take the lead. And then they're rolling all of a sudden. And and man, it you know they really needed that jolt offensively more so than defensively. The defense played extremely well in that first half. I know it was fourteen three at halftime, but the defense was on the field a lot, and the defense also was on the, a short field uh, on a couple a couple of occasions, and was able to stand up, get some third down stops, get off the field, uh, start applying some pressure and getting some sacks. Uh, the defensively, the Saints have allowed. Five straight games of 17 or fewer points. They hadn't done that since the 2006 season. So, really, you can see where this team is going defensively. But Taysom Hill's block really ignited the offense. The offense needed something. Uh, they couldn't get anything going until they got that block. They got the short field. They punched it in. And then, all of a sudden, you could see the confidence swell uh, really throughout the, throughout the, uh, the sideline. What else uh, can Taysom Hill do, J.D.? Because I feel like, I mean, he's done it all now. What else are we waiting for him? Is he going to kick field goals next? Maybe take over more Stead's position at punt? I mean, it's amazing the things that he continues to do, and it seems like every week there's something new that he does that, you know, shines for the New Orleans Saints. It's been unbelievable seeing him play. Well, I think he needs to either – either he needs to parachute in or or <laughs> or he needs to get that, you know, the big, the, big, uh, the big arm thing and let the Auburn Tiger eagle fly in. And, and land on his arm or something. I, I don't know what I don't know what else he can do. The thing is, you know, he he's listed at quarterback, and 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 he makes no he makes no 
bones about the fact that he wants to play quarterback in the NFL. Uh, what we don't know is if, if Taysom, Hill, Taysom Hill can play um, a good level of quarterback in the NFL. But I tell you what, what he does now, he could do this for the next five, six, seven years and I think get a Pro Bowl spot or two out of it because he is outstanding uh, as a Swiss Army knife and a jack-of-all-trades man. He, there isn't anything he's not willing to do. And, that's the, and that's, the, that's the first step, is he willing to do it? And not just you know lip service, okay, I'll do it, coach, but how much does he put into it? It's obvious the passion that he puts into it and the work that he puts into it because it pays off, whether it's returning kickoffs, or now rushing punts, or whether it's you know playing tight end, or whether it's you know playing a little H back, or whether it's you know catching a pass, or whether it's you know running a a, 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 a run pass option in the offense. I mean, there isn't anything he's not willing to do to help this team win, and it's infectious. Uh, you can't be on a team and see a guy willing to sacrifice himself the way Taysom Hill is, and be and be okay with just given you know 80 percent or just kind of you know maybe dragging around in practice that day you got you look at that guy and you say you know what if he's willing to do that then then what am i willing to do to to raise to that level of, of commitment when is the last time have you ever seen anyone like hill in the nfl whether it's been in the saints history or nfl history just the fact that this guy is listed at quarterback and has done so many things on special teams on offense can catch the ball, can run the ball. Have we seen anyone like Taysom Hill? Not with my eyes, Daniel. I mean, you know, we joked around and started calling him Jim Thorpe. Thorpe, and I, I guess this was this must have been. Now Jim Thorpe obviously put up fantastic numbers. Let's let's you know Jim Jim, Jim Thorpe is a legend, <laughs> so let's mm-hmm. not jump too far ahead. But I imagine the versatility has got to be somewhere along those lines, man. I mean, I've not seen a guy willing to do willing to do the things Taysom Hill is willing to do and not just do them, but do them effectively. Um, there's one thing to say, okay, we're going to run you out here and, and ask you to do this. There's another thing for him to actually be able to execute it. I guess every now and then in the NFL, we've seen a guy play offense and defense, you know, it was Deion Sanders. And, you know, I think Roy Green back in the golden age, switched from switch from cornerback to wide receiver. And he was fantastic. But in terms of versatility, in terms of asking a guy to do, you know, I guess I think Taysom Hill earlier this year said he played eight different positions or eight different things. And I just can't think of a guy who has been asked to do that many things because think of the amount of think of the amount of information retention you have to have to be able to do it and not and not screw it up. I mean, you know, to to say, okay, I'm I'm tight end on this play and I got to do this, or I'm quarterback on this play and I got to do this, or I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm punt rushing and I got to do this, or I'm punt protecting and I got to. I mean, there's a lot of information that he's got to retain and not get it get his wires crossed and able to be able in in order to be able to execute what he's got to do each and every game. So it, it really is amazing to watch. It really is, JD. That's for sure. Um, you could tell that uh, last night's game, let's go to the Bears and the Rams, you can tell that there was meaning for the New Orleans Saints. It was the second high last night in front of Chicago for Bears and Rams. And now, J.D., with the Rams' loss yesterday, Saints control their own destiny with three games to go. Hey, this is what you want as a football team. You want to be able to say everything 
that happens to us is in our hands. Uh, that's that's what you fight for all the time. Yeah, you want to you want to win that division because that earns you the playoff berth automatically. It earns you at least a home playoff game. But you want to be able to say we control everything that happens to us. We we don't have to depend on somebody else. And the Saints were in that position before last night. Uh, they were dependent upon the Bears beating the Rams to vault them back into the number one seed. Now that they have it, everything's in their hands. I know they got two out of three left against Carolina, a division opponent. They've got a home game left against Pittsburgh, which is a really good team. Still, doesn't matter how good they are, the Saints can say, all we have to do is win out and we guarantee ourselves the number one seed. And that's what you fight for after now that you've secured the division. Hey, that's what you're fighting for, seeding and jockeying for position and playing as many games as you possibly can in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. I'm glad you brought up the last three games. What sticks out to you in those three games? You mentioned both teams sort of struggling. Pittsburgh lost on the road yesterday to Oakland, and then Carolina has lost five straight after starting 6-2. and two. I'm not sure how healthy Cam Newton looks out there, maybe playing hurt, but J.D., a perfect opportunity for the Saints to capitalize on two teams that are really struggling right now. Man, you hope so. The, the thing with Carolina, it's, it's a division opponent, so you know they're not going to hand it over to you. Um, and Carolina still has minimal playoff opportunities. They still have a minimal percentage of getting in the, in the playoffs. So Carolina's got to be figuring, okay, we went out, we might be able to sneak in. Worst case scenario for Carolina is, you know what, the Saints are going to go in and they're going to win the division, but, and they won the division, but you know what? We're going to spoil it for them, and we won't let them get the number one seed. <laughs> so, you know, they'll be playing hard. Uh, you expect them to play hard. Uh, unless it's the season ender and then maybe, you know, and, and everything's out of reach and, you know, hopefully the Saints are in a position, maybe maybe the Rams lose another one. We don't know. But hopefully the Saints are in a position where Carolina has raised the white flag, so to speak, at, the, at that season ender. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's going to be difficult. And then we know Pittsburgh's got one of the best offenses in the league when you're talking about Roethlisberger at quarterback who got a little dinged up yesterday. But I'm sure he'll be ready to play, ready and available to play by the time they get to the Saints. You've got Antonio Brown. You've got Juju Smith-Schuster. You've got James Conner at running back, who should be back by then also. A really potent offense that plays extremely well. Now, sometimes Pittsburgh struggles on the road. Uh, but for the most part, you know, offensively, what you're going to get out of them. But the Saints have to feel pretty good about what they, what they got going. Look, after this Monday night game that's coming up against Carolina, both home games, you know, Pittsburgh and Carolina, and it's difficult for teams to win in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Uh, I, it's not quite the dungeon of terror that it was, you know, a few years ago when it seemed like the Saints couldn't lose to anybody and they were beating everybody by 25 or 30. But still, they have really raised their game at home this season, uh, w regardless of who the opponent's been. So, hey, if they get this one Monday night in Carolina, it's going to be hard. Um, again, Carolina might be beat up, and you know, one knock wood, uh, the Saints aren't as beat up, but it's going to be hard to win on the road. And it's amazing, really. The Saints have have really made a big statement by being six and one on the road this season, and with an opportunity to go seven and one. I don't know when the last time that happened for this franchise, if it ever has happened for this franchise, but that's a monumental accomplishment. J.D., I appreciate the time. Uh, get some rest. We'll talk to you on Wednesday for Pelicans and Thunder, and then I'll talk to you next Monday from Carolina as the Saints wrap up their road swing against the Panthers. Appreciate it as always, my friend. Always, man. Good to be here.
Switching gears to Pelicans now. Let's talk Pelicans and Celtics tonight from Boston. Joining me now, of course, like he does on every Monday, is Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Jim, we switched things up a little bit today. You're now in my suite here in Boston. Pretty fancy, huh? I like the digs? I'm I'm amazed. I'm quite impressed. I mean, this is probably one of the nicest spots in this whole hotel. I don't know what kind of strings you pulled to get this, but uh, but but uh, thanks for having me here. I never reveal my secrets on how I secure these types of rooms, but nonetheless, let's let's go into the game against the Detroit Pistons, uh, the first game of this two-game road trip on a back-to-back, and I thought it was a pretty solid win for New Orleans yesterday, just all around, even without Anthony Davis for some of the game. I thought the Pelicans played pretty good, don't you think? Yeah, there's been times this season where, you know, adversity strikes and things go the other way. I thought yesterday was just a really steady all-around performance just based on the fact that Obviously, you lose your best player five or six minutes into the game, but it seemed like they never really wavered, and they took control of the game and pretty much had it the rest of the day. Anthony Davis missed most of that first half, as he mentioned, played just the six minutes air in the first quarter, but then did come back in the second half, and he still looked very uncomfortable with that right hit, but I thought he really stepped up defensively. He struggled on the offensive end, but he still was that rim protector, and I thought that came up big against Detroit yesterday. Yeah, he had five blocks in not that many minutes, 25 or 26 minutes, I think it was. Um, it's it, it was it was odd to see, you know, his offensive struggles was really just more so that he just wasn't as aggressive. I think whatever the injury was, it seemed to affect him a lot more there than it did on the defensive end. He, he just, I think it's possible also that he realized how well Drew was playing offensively, just the way he was shooting the ball and what Julius was doing that he didn't need to, you know, take over the offense or be a, huge part of it they were fine with what the way the game was being played when ad was out so um he didn't really need to inject himself too much into the offense and they were fine scoring the points that they did did it make you feel a little better knowing that if he does not play again we don't know the status of anthony davis there's no shoot around this morning but do you feel a little better knowing that if ad does not play i feel like you had randall who stepped up drew holiday stepped up we'll see how nico does but you feel okay going into tonight even without Anthony Davis, at least in my opinion, that is. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Boston is a really tough team, and they're playing extremely well. So I think with just with like with a lot of games, I think defensively is going to be the key factor tonight of whether they the Pelicans win or lose. But um, I think one of the one of the really encouraging things to me just has been the way that Drew Holiday has been shooting. You know, we know that he's especially after they've moved him off the ball the last two years that he scores a lot of his baskets now from attacking instead of jumpers but it seems like his jump shot is getting better lately and he's been in a really good rhythm so I think that's a good sign obviously you're not going to expect him to have Steph Curry numbers like he did last night where he was six for ten from three-point range all the time but I mean it does seem like lately he's he's bumped that shooting percentage up he got off to a pretty poor start from three but he's I think he's just over 30 percent now on the season so what is it about Drew Holiday that he's been playing so well with Tim Frazier? I know you said he's so good off the ball and he's better attacking, but in these seven games that Frazier has started, has he, have you seen anything that stuck out to you as far as how he's played? Not really. I mean, I just think that he's had a pretty good stretch where, I mean, I think we've seen this before in the past, but um, he's, you know, I'm sure part of it is just taking advantage of being off the ball. But at the same time, he's also had a few games like this even when he was playing point guard. So I'm not really sure what it is other than just saying that, you know, we know he's a really good player and he can play like this for extended stretches. Julius Randle also now four straight games, 20 or more points in the starting lineup. 
I know there's, the numbers show how much better he is in the starting lineup, but is it more of the guys that he's surrounded with in the starting lineup that makes him play so well, or is there something different that you're seeing from him that kind of says, wow, this this might work for him for the rest of the season? It could be a little bit of that as far as being in the starting lineup. I know the opposing teams can't focus on him as much as they do when he, he's coming off the bench in the second unit with maybe not as many you know, significant offensive threats as he is has when he's out there with, a lot more with Drew and AD. But, I mean, at the same time, he was really good in that bench role as well. So it just doesn't seem like – it seems like no matter what situation you put him in this year, he's been able to really thrive. Let's go to that second unit now. Um, I didn't realize talking to head coach Alvin Gentry or listening to him post-game yesterday, we know Nico was sick for a few games, but I didn't realize the significance of the fact that he lost six pounds in one day, and I think you can tell right now, Jim, that he's still trying to get his legs underneath him a little bit, trying to get that rhythm back, that energy back, and it's showed in the last couple of games, um, which has been hurtful for the second unit because Etwan Moore has been struggling as well. Yeah, I mean, really, if you want to look at things from a optimistic standpoint, I think both of those guys, you could argue, are very affected by their by injury or their health situation, like you just touched on with Nico. Um, you can tell that he's not in a rhythm right now, and when you miss a couple games like he did, sometimes that happens. He comes back in a different role. And each one only played 16 minutes against Detroit too, which I think you know he wasn't that he wasn't very effective in the game. He he was only one for five from the floor, but I think his low minutes might have been partly just to the recognition that he's also battling his injury a little bit. Um, he was still listed on the injury report yesterday as probable, but ended up being able to play. But I, I just think with those two guys, I think it's a it's a great situation to have those two players with the talent that they have and how, how well both of them played earlier in the season to be able to bring them off the bench. So now it's just a matter to me of, of just being a little bit patient and waiting for them to to go back to playing the way, the way that they did earlier this year and, it's been two games since it's been lined up this way, and obviously the bench hasn't been very good in the Memphis game. It was the, that way as well. But I want to give it a few more games before we start making you know sweeping judgments on how the new rotation is. Let's focus in on tonight's game against this Boston Celtics team who you just faced them on November 26th at home. It wasn't a pretty game for New Orleans. I thought the Celtics just came out firing that first quarter, plagued the Pelicans once again. Boston got out to a nice lead. They're also coming off of a 56-point win against Chicago the other day, and they've won five in a row. So what sticks out to you about this Boston team, even though we just saw them just a few weeks ago? They uh, they seem like they're starting to get um, figuring out more of their roles. I think that was the big thing, that there was a little bit of uncertainty and confusion over. They had to completely change the rotation from the playoffs last year where they were so good because obviously Gordon Hayward came back and then Kyrie Irving came back. And Hayward moving to the bench, I think, was something positive because I don't know their team. I'm not in their locker room, but I would imagine that there's a little bit of um, back and forth as far as, like, does everyone here is everyone here motivated mostly by the team winning? Or Obviously, everyone is always partly motivated by their individual interests, but for him to say, you know, I want to come off the bench, I think sometimes it's a – a move like that or the mindset like that can really help a team as far as just realizing like, hey, we're all together or we're all on the same page and we have somebody who's willing to give up his role and sacrifice for the team. And also the way they struggled through the first 20 games now, it just seems like we saw this with the Pelicans last year. When you get on a roll and you win five, six Pelicans, won 10 games in a row uh, at one point last year, it just 
the the vibe just improved so much that I think you know everyone's happy and no one's gonna complain about anything because you can't when the team is playing in that well and being that successful. I feel like when we saw the last game, Drew Holiday, his defense on Kyrie Irving was outstanding. Limited Kyrie Irving in that game. Do you feel like that's the matchup to watch out for tonight, Mr. Holiday? Especially, look what he did yesterday on Reggie Jackson. He's done it on Luka Doncic. I mean, we can go down the list of guys that he's been able to stop, but I feel like Irving versus Holiday is a, another matchup that we should look out for tonight. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's had some games, Kyrie, lately where, you know, he took over the game and they've the Celtics I know not they haven't necessarily played elite teams a lot lately but just the dominance that they've had has been really impressive so if you can cut him off a little bit or limit him I think it'll definitely give you a much better chance of winning in a tough place to be able to get a road win if you can give me one key for tonight for the Pelicans to sweep this back to back what would it be I think I'm going to go back to the bench just knowing that you need to get more production from you know the whole the whole rotation um, hoping to see, you know, bounce back games from Nico and Etwan, and you know, Darius maybe Darius a little bit and Shaq. I'm not sure, you know, who's going to play how many minutes, but um, that'll help because Boston has a couple guys that they bring off the bench that are really good. So you're going to have to be on your toes the for the entire 48 minutes tonight. And before I let you go, Pelicans 14 and 14 through 28 games sit right outside the playoff picture with still plenty of time to go. How would you describe this Pelicans team as we're more than a quarter of the way through the season right now? I, I think I look at it two ways. I look at it from one standpoint that it's too early to get to panic and go crazy about being 14 and 14 because we saw what happened last year. On the other hand, I am def- I definitely am a little bit disappointed because I thought we talked about this all all summer that they would be able to get off to a better start based on the way that last season ended. So I'm kind of in the middle right now. Um, it's been interesting just to see that the way the West is and to see if you look at the standings right now, there's basically five five or six teams that are within a game of New Orleans on either side. So, I mean, there's an opportunity right there for them to make a big jump if they can put together a winning streak. But I understand because I feel the same way a little bit sometimes myself that I understand when people say, like, they're starting to lose patience and saying, come on, let's get going. We need to get on a roll here. It's crazy that still 1 through 14 are all still very much in the playoff picture here when we're about to be 30 games into the season. The Phoenix Suns are really the only ones that realistically are pretty much out of it, just the fact that they're in rebuilding mode. But how crazy is that knowing that if you look at the standings and you're sitting there, I think Houston's sitting there at number 14, Mm -hmm. and they were the team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year. How unbelievable is it that the West is just, we knew how good it was going to be, but how everyone, no one's really one run away with it. But two, everyone just seems to be all clumped together. I think you know when the when the dust settles at the end of the day, maybe some of the predictions that were made this summer will be shown to be more correct than they look now. But it's funny to me that if you look at it, not only you mentioned Houston is in 14th and they had the best record in the West last year and almost made the NBA Finals, but Utah made the second round. They're 13th right now. New Orleans is also in the second round. They were they're 11th right now. Um, I forget who the other team was that made the second round. Oh, obviously Golden State. Um, they're one of the teams that is holding to form, but even they've struggled record-wise compared to what they've done. So it's I think it's partly just been a good example of two of how you got have to let the games play out and that some of these predictions, honestly, are, are almost completely worthless. Yeah, we have to throw those out the window, I think, right now, especially the way things are going in the West. Jim Eikenhofer, I appreciate the time as always, man, and let's get another W before we head home. 
Sounds good. I mean, a win tonight would be huge to be able to go 2-1-0 on this trip, and thanks for having me in your luxurious hotel suite. Absolutely. Anything for you, Jimbo. All right, that'll do it for today's Black and Blue Report. Big thanks to John DeShazer, of course, talking about the Saints and their NFC South Division title. Jim Eichenhofer, of course, for our Pelicans talk. Sean Kelly will be back with you on Wednesday. We'll play a little bit of his Adam Silver interview from Friday night's ball game against the Memphis Grizzlies. And, of course, start getting that Saints game preview going with the Carolina Panthers on Monday Night Football next week. Again, tonight, 6.30 p.m. Central Time is the broadcast for Pelicans and Celtics. You can watch it on Fox Sports New Orleans or listen on News Talk 99.5 WRNO. Pre-game will start at 6 o'clock on both TV and radio. Until next Monday for me, until Wednesday for Sean, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report.